Girlfriends, episode number 185, Live Big, Love Bigger with Katherine Whitaker. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, I'm speaking with my friend and fellow author, Katherine Whitaker. You're going to love our conversation. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I am thrilled that you are here. Always happy to connect with you in this way through the podcast. Always happy that you're showing up again for another show. So thank you for being here. I am excited to be back at home because I spent the last couple of weeks traveling a bit. I worked a bit ahead on the podcast, so I wasn't sharing with you that I was at, let's see, last, the week before last, I was at EWTN in Birmingham. I spent a couple of days there recording some shows with Johnette Williams, which I will let you know when those are going to air. It's been my experience that EWTN works really far out <laughs> from when they're airing their shows. So it could be quite a while. But I was there um, sharing mostly about uh, my manual for women published by Tan. And uh, it was great conversations that I had with Johnette. I was really grateful for the opportunity to be there for a couple of days. And then all of last week, I was at the Catholic Marketing Network in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I had the opportunity to speak at the Catholic Writers Guild, which is a conference that happens kind of simultaneous to the Catholic Marketing Network every year there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was a great week. I am exhausted from it. And I really missed home. I missed my family. I missed my own routines. Um, I came home and it just felt so good just to do laundry and wash the dishes and sleep in my own bed and that kind of thing. So definitely absence makes the heart grow fonder. But I'm thrilled to be back home now, focusing on my regular routines, getting focused back on making some plans for the podcast in the coming months. So happy to be connecting with you here again. I did, while I was traveling about, uh, meet a few different people who are listeners of the Girlfriends Podcast, and I always love the opportunity to do that because when I meet you in real life, I know that you get it if you tell me you listen to Girlfriends. So anytime um, you have the opportunity to come somewhere where I'm speaking or an event where I'm going to be, I would love it if you would come out and introduce yourself. The more people that I can meet in real life, the better. I absolutely love that this community is alive and it's real. And I love hearing from you in all the different ways that you communicate with me. I'm so grateful for that. But mostly I just love it when we do have the opportunity to meet in real life and connect in that way. So these uh, connections that I made on these recent travels were a reminder of that, a reminder of the unique value of actually meeting in person. As part of that event in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, there were a number of Catholic mom contributors who were present there. So we organized a special event where we had a breakfast on Thursday morning of last week just for Catholic mom contributors. And that was, uh, there were a little bit over 20 of us that were there. And what a great opportunity to just come together and remind ourselves that we're real people and that these connections that we make online are real, just like the connections we make through the podcast are real, and that we can kind of affirm that and really kind of deepen our connection with one another by meeting in person. There really is no replacement for that. 
And before I dive in with today's guest, Catherine Whitaker, whom I love, by the way, you're going to love this conversation. Um, I wanted to share real quick that we did something special here in the Bean household last evening. We had our family's enthronement of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, some of you may remember, I spoke with Emily Jaminette about the concept of enthroning the Sacred Heart of Jesus in your family. It really is a... Um, a, a consecration of your family to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So Emily Jaminette was a guest on Girlfriends a little while back, and I'll link to that conversation in the show notes if you want to go back and listen. Um, but she kind of gave me the idea back then that this is something I need to do. I was so inspired. And here I am. It's over a year later <laughs> that I finally did it. We had our good friend, Father Jeff, come, and um, I finally found an image of the Sacred Heart that I liked that I felt like was a good fit for our house. And um, it was not a very long ceremony, but but we, we all knelt before it and we said prayers consecrating our family to the Sacred Heart and then placed the image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in a place of honor in our home. And I have to tell you, I loved doing this. I loved the opportunity to do this. I love that Dan was on board with doing it. I love that my kids were positive about doing it. I love that Father Jeff came and was a part of it. This was the first one that he had done. He's a fairly new priest. So I was honored that um, this was one of... Uh, so it's first experience uh, of enthroning the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So I am inspired to remind you all to go back and listen to that episode if you don't know much about it or click the link in the show notes. I'll put a link. There is a whole uh, society for the enthronement that kind of helps you with that process and gives you all the information that you need to be able to do this in your own home, in your own family. And I, I just felt so at peace last night after having done it and just so happy throughout the day, actually, as we were planning for this event, we were planning like a special dinner. And so I was going out shopping for that and then cleaning up the house um, and just preparing for it. There was such a peace and a joy inside of our family in that special event. So I really want to recommend that you check this out. You consider doing it in your own home and family. I think that, you know, we can make these personal consecrations. Many people do the Marian consecration um, and those kinds of things. And those are great. But I think there's a special character to doing this kind of a devotion together as a family and kind of publicly, at least inside of your own home and family, acknowledging the that Jesus is king of your home, king of your family, Lord of all that we do. And then the image is there as a constant reminder of that. So a really beautiful experience. And I wanted to be sure to mention it here in case any of you are interested in finding out more about doing it, or if any of you have your own experiences with enthronement of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in your home that you'd like to share, I would love to hear from you about that. So without waiting any longer, here is my recent conversation with author of Live Big, Love Bigger, Catherine Whitaker. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Girlfriends. I am excited to have a special guest, dear sister of the heart, friend online, but I think it's friend in real life, even though we have not yet met in real life. Catherine Whitaker is joining me here today. Catherine is a Catholic author, blogger, speaker, and freelance graphic designer, a sixth generation Texan. She was raised as an evangelical Protestant until she met her husband on a blind date at Texas A&M. And on the eve of their wedding, Whitaker converted to Catholicism. Since 2007, with honesty, authenticity, and a healthy dose of sass, Whitaker has shared on her blog 
Team Whitaker, what it's like to be raising a raucous Catholic family, including a preemie, while balancing her graphic design business. Her love of the Aggies, keeping her obsession to the container store in check, and stocking the fridge with plenty of Dr. Pepper. Her book, Live Big, Love Bigger, Getting Real with Barbecue, Sweet Tea, and a Whole Lot of Jesus, hits bookshelves August 30th. Catherine Whitaker, welcome to Girlfriends. Thanks for having me, Danielle. I am thrilled that you are here. I mean, we've interacted online I don't even want to say how long, but you've been blogging since 2007. So that long, That's let's a long say. time. That's a long time. <laughs> I know when you were saying that we're not friends in real life, I was like, we need to, we yeah. need to make that happen. I know. We need the New England girl to get together with the Texas. To meet the Texas girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So girlfriends, listeners, you are hearing the authentic Texan accent. Um, yeah. So it, it, let's start with the accent. We'll get to the book, yes. but let's start okay. with this because um, I'm fascinated by this uh, being from New England that, you know, we don't talk funny up here. You guys talk funny down there. So tell no, me. No, we talk normal. Everybody <laughs> else has an accent. Exactly right. That's how everyone feels. Um, how many different kinds of Texas accents are there? And are you able to differentiate among them? Oh, oh, for sure. You can tell the difference. So I'm from the Panhandle, which is the top part of Texas. We tend to be um, a little twangier. Mm-hmm. East Texas has a nice blend of Louisiana and Arkansas because where they border. Mm-hmm. And East Texas has a really, really strong accent. Central Texans actually, uh, there's a lot of transplants here. So okay. a lot of people where I live don't even sound like they're from here because they're not. <laughs> um, and then South Texas has um, the Hispanic influence. So you hear a, a really beautiful accent down there. So usually wow. if I hear someone talk, I can tell one, if they're from Texas and what part, and then if they are not from Texas, I can usually figure out what state they're from. That is it's just like cool. a Southern, it's like a radar. I don't know. You can tell. <laughs> it's a Southern superpower. I like it. It is. Yeah, that's my superpower. <laughs> I can tell you where you're from based on your Southern accent. <laughs> well, you have many superpowers, Catherine. Don't sell yourself short because this book is such a showcase of what I consider your superpowers. So live big, love bigger. Why don't you share with us why did this book come to be? How did you come to write a book? Well, I wanted to write a book for a really long time, Danielle. And Mm -hmm. then I realized that I wanted it for the wrong reasons. I wanted it for me. And so for lack of a better term, I just shelved the idea. I'm like, Mm -hmm. we're going to move on. I've got things going on at home. And then a few months later, a couple of publishers came calling and that's when I realized that I needed it and, and wanted it for Jesus. So I have this cute little kid named Luke who was born premature, and he taught us a whole boatload of lessons. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was time to share. God felt like it was time for me to share those lessons with the world. And so that's what we did. And that's what you do beautifully inside of this book. So yeah, that is sort of a central story, your experience with Luke and kind of the conversion of heart that you had going through that experience? Because, you know, you you had a conversion to the Catholic faith before you were married, but maybe describe a little bit about what that shift in your faith life was like going through that preemie experience. Well, initially, I was kind of the pouty little kid in the corner with my Kleenex, like, Jesus, (laughs) why is this so hard? Why did you ask this of me? I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a decade, really, we had an opportunity to either be changed by Jesus or to walk away from him. And we chose to be changed by him. And what that meant was, is that we had to start 
making hard decisions in our life about where we were spending our time and who we were spending our time with. Um, When you say that you're a Christian, what does that really mean? And sometimes that meant that I had to do an overhaul of the soul. And that's always, you know, good, hard, holy work. And I just, I felt like it was an invitation from Jesus to invite me into a closer relationship with him. Growing up Protestant, I had a really great relationship with him, but I felt like it was very polite. I was, yes, sir, no, sir. Mm-hmm. And then and then we got real. Right. And that, that changes you. When you go through something really hard, and I know that there are lots of your listeners who, are, who have gone or are going through something really hard, it changes you. And it, and it invites you into a relationship that, while it's painful, it's also re- redemptive. I finally figured out what it means to be a Christian and what that looks like. And I'm grateful for the hard stuff because that's when I really experienced just, I saw the face of Christ in a lot of ways and a lot of places that I wasn't expecting to see it. And he asks big things of us. He's not like a, well, I kind of want you to do this little thing. I mean, he wants, (laughs) he wants you to be all in and that was an abandonment of control and all those things, but it's been, it's been worth it. It's, it is worth it. Right. Right. And I I love that just how real you are in the book and that you share that struggle, because I think it's something many of us can relate to. I certainly could, as I was reading, it it was coming to mind the times in my marriage and family life where I've really been challenged, you know, with my, my son's diagnosis with an incurable illness, you know, many years ago, that moment felt very familiar to me as you were describing your experience with your son as a preemie that kind of it lays bare where your faith is faltering or where it's been fake even, I want to say. I'm not talking about yours, but for me personally, I just felt like I've been putting on a show here and it felt great, you know, (laughs) right up until this moment where I realized it's all a facade, right? You can only keep up the shenanigans for so long and then you get found out. And I felt like Jesus knew all along. He was just kind of waiting for me to admit it. Mm -hmm. And boy, I will tell you, Danielle, I think... I think at the time, I think that I wasn't changing. And now that I look, that was the beauty of writing this book as I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, I, I'm a completely different person. Right. And I hope that that's apparent to the people that meet me in the best of ways, like not sometimes you meet people and you're like, oh, they've changed. But I <laughs> hope that when people see our family and have a chance to visit, you know, with me or with Luke or with anyone in our family that, that they say, man, I can really see the grace and that that was my that was what I wanted to put in here in this book is that I wanted people to know that you're never too far from the grace and the mercy, but you're also never too old to change. You're never too old to mm-hmm. really grow in relationship and then share that relationship with other people. I think sometimes when you get into your forties, now I'm mm-hmm. at forties now, that you think, Oh, well, it is what it is. You know, they're that's the way you're going to be. But mm-hmm. I think opportunities like this, when you have a big thing happen, God, it's an invitation to change and change is good. It's hard. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> but that's part of what you, you share so beautifully in the book is that very real struggle. Do you find that writing, I mean, you've been blogging for since 2007. So do you find that writing helps you to kind of process those kinds of thoughts and feelings or to see that grace in action? Always. Yeah. I loved, I, I have a really close relationship with my high school journalism teacher. She actually read the book and gave me some good suggestions. I joked with right. her. I was like, I can never write anything without you looking at it. First. <laughs> but I learned to love to write because of Cindy. 
And so when I wrote this and when I wrote before, that was my prayer to Jesus. That's when I would work out the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. That's when I would finally admit what was going on or what I really felt. I felt like I could say it to him in in the written word. Right. And then I could process it. So obviously when I was blogging, that was super cathartic for me, cheaper than therapy, but super (laughs) cathartic for me. And then at the same time, it allowed me, and and a lot of what I wrote back then, Danielle, like I did not share publicly. And it was a good thing because it was really raw and it needed to only be shared between me and Jesus and my computer screen. (laughs) And then I sort of filtered through that and said, okay, so what needs to be shared with the world and what do I need to keep private between me and Jesus? And so I have, I've always loved to write. Everybody has their way that they communicate to God. Mine is through writing for sure. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, that's I, I find that's obvious when I'm reading someone's writing that that's that's how they're they're sharing their faith, that they're it's all a process for them. Um and I find that that's really a very encouraging thing to read is other people's paths. And maybe it's because I'm a writer myself, but also I think it's just part of the, you know, the human experience, wanting to know that other people are are there on that path. Maybe their details are different and some of the details you share are hilarious. So listen, people, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna laugh and you're gonna cry and you're gonna you're gonna be right along for the ride with Team Whitaker. Now, Catherine, sharing so vulnerably about your own struggles, but also about you know real struggles in your marriage and in your faith. Um, did you have to run this by like your husband, for example, and your family for what you were going to be sharing inside of this book? Yes. Mm-hmm. So all of our stories are connected to someone else. And so I had to work hard to tell my story and not tell someone else's story. It wasn't my story to tell. Yeah. So on the stories that involved, obviously my children or Scott or other people, I had Scott read it. I would say, so what do you think? And he would say, that needs to come out. Or why didn't you put this in? And he was the first and most important editor of my book. Mm -hmm. And his feedback was really important to me. And we talked long and hard about just how much we were going to share about the struggles that we had in our marriage and, and what we felt called to share, like, could it help another couple? Right. And, and ultimately what we shared in there, we were both at peace with, Mm -hmm. we felt like it was enough to tell the story, but not enough to be voyeurism. I Mm -hmm. wanted it to be important, but also wanted to protect our marriage. And, and the same goes for my kids. And of course, my editor at Ave was really good about saying, why don't you focus a little bit more on this and a little bit less on that. But it was hard to admit the shortcomings. And Mm -hmm. then, and then like when people started posting photos recently of, Hey, there's the book. I thought, Oh no, now they know all the things like (laughs) everybody's reading everything. (laughs) My mom is not the only one that's going to read this book. So, uh, that, but I also was at peace with that when I sent that to my editor and everything that was in there, I was like, I feel good about what's in there and I'm okay with sharing that with the world because I feel like sometimes in a social media filtered world that we try to give the illusion that everything is great. Everything is okay. And I wanted people to know that, that even though they may see me online and, and I think it's possible to experience great joy and also great sadness at the same time and be fully present to both of those emotions. Mm -hmm. But I wanted them to know that the person that they saw online also struggled with some of the things that they struggled with, but yet those struggles don't define who I am. And so 
that was mm-hmm. a really long answer to yeah. a really beautiful question. No, so, yeah, that's that's anyway. the truth. You know, and and that's part of what I was so encouraged by in reading your book, Catherine, is that you do find that balance between being real and vulnerable and sharing some of the hard stuff, the stuff that is hard to share. But I think there's not enough of that inside of our church today. You know, you mentioned social media. There's a gloss on everything. Everything's polished. Everything's perfect. And that can be so discouraging, I think, especially inside of Christian marriage, when there are real struggles. And so I feel like we can't say enough to people that it's hard and that you're going to go through hard times. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That means you're working out your salvation together. And I find that your book is such a beautiful way of kind of presenting that message to people. And And I'm hopeful that young couples will read it. My daughter just got married at the end of May, and I'm planning to hand this this copy off to her when I'm through with it. Because I think, and and I think you'll, you'll agree that our church doesn't do that enough. And I'm not blaming the church. I'm saying we as a church aren't doing that enough. Right. Well, I mean, I felt like, I mean, if I was going to write a book about authenticity and intentional living, mm-hmm. then I needed to be authentic and intentional, not only in how I lived, but what I wrote about. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but I love, there are certain writers who write beautiful, um, beautiful books, mm-hmm. but for me, they are so hard to grasp, Danielle, because I don't see the realness yeah. of who they are. And it's not that they're not real, but their writing doesn't translate that. And I just... As a writer, I had to I had to put it out there, but I also had to be intentional about what I wrote right. and really offer it to God and say, is this what you want me to share? But I just don't think we say enough about the real struggles and then what that really looks like. How do you really walk through it? And then what does it look like on the other side? Because nobody talks about that. They talk right. about the hard thing and then they talk about the redemption, but they don't talk about the walking through it. Right. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important to do. And and speaking of walking through the hard parts, there are other struggles that you share inside of this book. Um, Let's talk about body image, because I I loved your your take on that and your chapter on that. I think you started with a Coco Chanel quote about being classy and fabulous, right? I did. (laughs) Which I I love. Actually, I loved all the quotes that you have throughout the book. I mean, it's so cute. Um, But so let's talk about that. Can you share a little bit of your own story growing up with scoliosis and um, how that kind of formed your self-identity? So when I was in the seventh grade, well, fourth grade, I was diagnosed with scoliosis and then, which is the lateral curve of the spine. And then in seventh grade, I was put into a back brace. So from underneath my arm to my hip bone. So it was the eighties, you know, so baggy clothes were good. I could kind of hide it pretty well, (laughs) but I wore it from seventh grade, Danielle, until my junior year in high school. And most of those years were spending at 23 hours a day. So Mm -hmm. it became part of me Mm -hmm. and I hated it. (laughs) And it really, I think it affected my, obviously it affected my self-esteem. It affected how I viewed myself, my worth, that other people thought they may have malformations or they may not be quite perfect, but mine was glaring. Like I could look in the mirror and see how imperfect I was. Right. And that affected my relationships with other girls it affected my relationship with boys mm-hmm. um, or the non-existent relationship with boys. Right. And I just, I really struggled with how to, how to do all that. And then I got out of it. And then in my 30s, my curve was so bad. So a normal spine is zero degrees. Mine was 65. So if wow. that gives you an idea of, so I, not only was it curved, but I was also starting to twist. So like you could see my shoulder coming in and my surgeon was like, it's time to do surgery. And 
that was an intense surgery. But I think initially I thought, well, if I get the surgery, then I should be, I'll finally be, you know, the person that I have always dreamed of being straight spine. Mm -hmm. And, and it didn't, it it never works out that way. Um, (laughs) I did, I did grow two inches. So that was the big benefit is that I went from five, five to five, seven. That's how curved my spine was. Um, and I joked, my brother was like, so did you have to get new jeans? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, I grew from the waist up, not from the waist down, you dealing. So um, I just, it, it was really difficult to be in a back brace and to have, like, scoliosis doesn't ever go away. I always have scoliosis. So now I have two rods, two titanium rods and 24 screws in my back. And it's something that I think about every day. I, anyone that tells me they have back pain, I get it. I understand, you know, sometimes people think, well, if you're thin and you're have six kids and you're married, you can't possibly think badly about your body. And Mm -hmm. it's an illusion. I think that how we feel about ourselves doesn't, isn't defined by a certain number on a scale. So whether that number is a hundred or 400, People have challenges with body image, no matter what size they are. So and true. I think as women, that obviously after you have babies or after you go through a medical illness or some sort of condition, I mean, our bodies take a lot of heat. They take a lot of pressure over the years. And I think I finally had to come to terms and be at peace with the body that God gave me and why he allowed me to go through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I have a daughter who has scoliosis and boy, do I get it. And it's changed and we have an awesome surgeon and all those things are, are different, but my perspective changed because I went through it. Right. So I could have read a lot of books and all that thing, all those things. But when she went through it, I was like, ah, that's why this happened or, oh, that's why that happened. Mm -hmm. And yeah, body image is a tricky thing. It is. So especially for women, especially for women. So much of our self-worth is determined by that. Isn't that true? And we can pretend it doesn't matter. And I I know I've experienced this myself. I know. Liars. Liars. But I I get it. I know why you want to be that liar because you don't want it to matter. And yet it does. And it's such a core part of our identity and that God wants to heal that. And I think that's what was I found so beautiful about your story and your sharing of that struggle. And I know you still struggle with it. And yet look where you are today. You know, this beautiful mom of six kids, you share on social media, um, you know, you're doing your bar workouts. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your um, your commitment to fitness and how that kind of ties in with this body positive, you know, learning to be comfortable in your own skin. Of course, I'll, I'll talk about it as I cancel my workout this morning. So yes, it's perfect time. <laughs> perfect time to talk about it. Um, yeah, so I broke my kneecap. Don't ever do that, by the way. It's not oh as fun gosh. as advertised. It was terrible. Um, But when you break your kneecap, they sort of oscillate your leg. And so I lost, over the course of six weeks, I lost my quad. Like it just went away, atrophied. And so it took a really, really long time to get it back. And I was just so frustrated. And I'm like, that's it. I got to figure out something. So I started working out, which I was the bang geek, Danielle. Like I <laughs> am so not athletic. My my parents joke, my dad coached the T-ball team growing up and I set the bench and he was the coach. <laughs> like that's how bad I was. So I'm not an athlete. I'm not a marathoner. And so I just assumed that in order to be physically fit, that you had to be athletic, which right. is another lie yeah, that we tell ourselves. True. And after I broke my kneecap, I thought, enough is enough. I have got to get it together. I've got these 
beautiful kids and this awesome husband and I, they deserve better. They deserve a better mom, a better wife. And Mm -hmm. so I started working out and I work out probably 20 times a month. So four or five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for three years. I actually have legit muscles. I feel stronger. (laughs) I mean, I did it because I wanted to lose inches and I wanted to rebuild my quad and I got a whole different set of awesome God like really outdid himself. (laughs) And I, I'm a much better, stronger person than I used to be physically. Right. And it allows me to do things that I couldn't do before. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't know I couldn't do them because what do you know? You don't know that you don't know that you can't do it until you can. And you're like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Why didn't I do that before? And in addition to that, I met some really great women, but I was like anti-group fitness, anti-all those things. Yep. But I finally, I think desperation spurs change. I think that's what I, that was the quote in the book. And I was mm-hmm. desperate. I couldn't do it anymore. Right, right. And we I forget I, that we're, that we're worth it. Yes, yes. And I love that you make that commitment to yourself and that you hold true to it. And, you know, for different people, it would look like different things. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to Absolutely. commit. I mean, I, I don't know what crazy hour of the morning you're getting up, but I am not getting up at that crazy hour. <laughs> so... <laughs> 25 a.m. There you go. There you go. Nope, nope, nope. Nope. <laughs> Don't bother me for another hour at least minimum. Um, but yeah, but so, I mean, I think it's important to find what's going to work for you and to try new things. I, I love that you, you shared that desperation spurs change because maybe you don't have to wait for the desperation, right? But so many of us do. Oh, no. and, and when you find yourself in that place, just be open to trying something new, trying something scary, taking on a new challenge and, you know, be open to the ways in which God might want to be working in your life. I think too many of us settle like as early as in our 20s, you know, we're settling like, oh, this is the yeah. body I'm going to have. This is what I can and can't do. You know, this is what my life's going to look like. But there, it's so much bigger than that. So I think one thing that we forget is that in motherhood or in in our vocations as women, there's different seasons of life. And so this season afforded me the ability to do this particular workout at in the, at the, at this particular time. I think you have to find uh, the season, identify the season that you're in and figure out what works in that season mm-hmm. and know that that's going to shift and change. So maybe it's a walk around the block with your girlfriends and the strollers and you pray the rosary, or maybe you can go to the gym and work out five days a week because your kids are in school. I don't know what, your situation looks like, but I know that it's possible to do physical fitness at every stage and mm-hmm. every season of your life. It's just going to look different. Right. And you, so you can't compare yourself to someone who's in a different season and say, why can't I do that? Well, because you can't, but you can do this other thing and it's just as good. Right. So I wish that I had found what worked for me earlier in my seasons of motherhood, <laughs> but I finally figured it out. And right. I, stopped putting it off. And you also have to be gentle with yourself. Like you don't need to be running marathons five or six weeks after you have a baby. I mean, right. I think you have to be smart with your body, but God gave us this beautiful body that can do so much. In fact, one thing that they say in our workout every day, and I'm always grateful for it, is they said, be thankful that you're here, that your body can do what it did today. Wow. Instead of, sometimes we look at workouts as a punishment, but right. instead they're a celebration of what your body can do. And it completely shifts your perspective. I love that. That's so important because I, I think you're so right. Sometimes you, you, I know I have gone through phases in my life where whether it's how I'm eating or how I'm working out, I think of it more as like a punishment that I'm doling out to myself, like because of you know, whether, whether it's because I ate that brownie or because I didn't work out for three days in a row or whatever it is. But 
it's that's that's not at all how God wants us to be thinking about our bodies or approaching ourselves. I love that you say to give yourself that that grace to be gentle with yourself because there, if you're going to do something sustainably and keep it up, it can't be something you're going there every day to punish yourself, right? And not only that, you can't go just because of the way you look. Mm-hmm. If you're working out because you want to look a certain way, you're eventually going to give it up. But if you work out because of the way it makes you feel, right. stick with it. Right. So true. So true. And that reminds me of the point that you made earlier, like that you thought once once your spine was adjusted, you know, that you're going <laughs> to be a totally different person. Right. <laughs> and I think that's Gosh. many people's experience, whether it's with weight loss or other health issues. Like once I get there. That's when, you know, we're living in the future and kind of putting off our very selves that God wants us to be because, I don't know, because of some lack of perfection that we perceive in our lives. When God is God of the present moment, he is the present moment. I think it's so important to remind ourselves and one another of that. Well, we live in this state of we must get to the destination instead of recognizing there is no destination. (laughs) It's all a journey. You know, the final destination is hopefully heaven. And that's it. The rest of it's just a journey. So it's not like I'm going to work out for five years and somehow be crowned like the most amazing workout person ever. Like that's not the destination. (laughs) The journey is, hey, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be more fit. I'm going to be able to do things with my kids and all of that. It's all a journey. It's all grace. And if we take out the equation of when we get here, we will feel this way instead of we're just going to walk through this and see how God transforms us. You got to get rid of the destination. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's it it's false. Such it's an a lie. reminder. Yeah. We need that reminder. And, and speaking of reminders we need, real quick before we have to wrap up here, I want to be sure to talk to you about being a working mom and balancing, you know, you've got kids, you've got you know, your first one is launching this fall, yeah. going to school, and you're kind of managing that household and um, at the same time, though, you're you're working, and I promise not to ask you the annoying question, how do you do it all? But no, really, <laughs> how do you do it all? I want... <laughs> um, you know, someone asked me that question the other day. I said, you make time for the things that you love. Right. And I love designing things graphically. I love writing, and I love organizing things. Like, I love all those things. And so sometimes I have to balance my love for that, for the need for people to eat mm-hmm. or to be shuttled where they need to go. And for us, it's come down to saying no to really good things because we're presented with a whole covey of great choices. And so when you have a bigger family, we just feel that heat a little faster and we have to sure. make decisions So I think that's how we, quote unquote, do it all is that we don't do it all. We say no to a lot more things than we say yes to. And we really try not in my not just in my own life, but with my kids and with Scott to really nurture people's God given gifts and abilities and say, how can we how can we grow that? How can you see where that's going to take you? And I think that makes us happier. So it makes us more present to the things that we're doing because we love them. Right. And we don't love all the things like I still hate cleaning toilets and <laughs> I still hate menu planning, but I do it because it has to be done. So I think sometimes when you can get some of those things out of the way that you hate to do and then the the joy of knowing, okay, so then after I do that, I get to do this other thing is how we get it all accomplished. And it's not perfect. My house is only clean because all my kids are gone right now for a week. <laughs> but normally it's a little chaotic. And for someone who's top A likes things in their place, right. I have to let some things go. 
So you got to decide what you can live with and what you can't and then what you feel is most important to do and you do it. And then you Mm -hmm. don't apologize for the things that you have to say no to. Right. I love that. That's such an important reminder. Saying no to stuff that saying no to good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff, but you don't have to we do have to, them all. We have to. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're describing your kind of life and your your shifting kind of balance. I, I was reminded, and I wish I could give credit to this person because it's been so helpful to me. Someone I heard once describe balance saying that we tend to think of balance, especially as women, like frozen in time, like everything's in its place and I'm at peace in the middle of it all, right? Whereas balance <laughs> is a lot more like balance on, like picture yourself standing on a ball and trying to keep your balance. Like you're moving, it's constant motion. And that's what balance can look like is that you're shifting in one direction and that's compromising the other direction. And that's part of the process. It's okay. Right. You know, that you're kind of constantly in flux like that. Well, you know, we told our kids, I said, you know, sometimes you're the one that gets all the attention or you're the one that gets the most of us at that moment and another sibling doesn't. And then the next day or the next week, it's your turn to sacrifice. So I'm hoping that in the process of all that, especially as we launch our first, is that they recognize that sacrifice Mm -hmm. is an important component of love. And it's important to sacrifice for the people that you love because eventually your turn is going to come and they're going to sacrifice for you. But when you live in a world of everything is about them and all that sort of thing, so teaching our kids and, and us too about sacrifice is a countercultural but necessary component of living a cross-centered life. Right. I mean, he sacrificed for us, so we make little sacrifices along the way for the people that we love or for our, for our own inconveniences. I sacrifice this, but I know in the end it's going to produce this fruit. And that, I think, is the key component of having a family that finds their balances, that they're willing to sacrifice the things that they love because the people that they love are more important. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, so my guest has been Catherine Whitaker. If you're listening along. If you don't follow Catherine on social media, you need to. So please tell us who you are on Instagram, Catherine. I'm Kay Whitaker, 96, and I'm that on Twitter and Pinterest. And then I'm over on Facebook for Team Whitaker. And then you can find me on my blog at teamwhitaker.org. Do all those things. You will not regret it. You're <laughs> going to continue to be inspired. Catherine's book is Live Big, Love Bigger, Getting Real with Barbecue, Sweet Tea, and a Whole Lot of Jesus. Newly available. I think it's available for pre-order, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be hitting shelves and hitting your, your mailbox by August 30th, but you can go and pre-order it now. You're going to want to do that. Catherine Whitaker, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us here on Girlfriends. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it so much. It's always awesome to visit with you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Catherine. Isn't she great? I absolutely love her. Been following her online going way back. Um, One thing that she did want me to mention that wasn't mentioned inside of the interview is that once you order the book, there's special bonus content. There's some audio content and some other materials that are available. So if you go to her website, which is teamwhitaker.org. I'm going to have that linked in the show notes. Go there and click on the tab about the book. You can get all the information to share your receipt from when you bought the book and then get that bonus material. I don't want you to miss out on that. And now before we have to go, I just want to share some places where I am going to be in the coming months because like we talked about at the start of the show, I love to make those in-person connections. So if one of these places happens to be near you, I would love the opportunity to meet you. I would love it if you would come out to one of these events. So 
Um, my You Are Enough retreat is going to be taking place in Orlando, Florida on Saturday, November 16th. Then on Saturday, January 11th, I will be giving my You're Worth It retreat at St. Michael Church. Again, my You're Worth It retreat, Saturday, March 7th, happening at Precious Blood Parish in Jasper, Indiana. Then I'll be speaking at the Women's Conference in Norwich, Connecticut on Saturday, March 28th. Um, I'm still uh, booking a few things for the fall. I've got a few things in the works, but if you are planning an event for this fall or this winter or this coming spring, and you're interested in having me either give one of my retreats, you can get... Um, information about that at my website, daniellebean.com, or interested in having me come speak to be a part of an event or a conference that you are putting on in your parish with your women's group or in your community, you can go to daniellebean.com and click the speaking tab to get information about that. I would love the opportunity to come to your community. If one of these places isn't near you, then let's make this happen. Let's make it a place that's near you so that we can make that all important in real life connection through girlfriends. And now before we go, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for being here for this episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. Thank you for all the ways that you support and encourage me inside of the work we do here. But most of all, I'm just grateful that you show up. I really do not take for granted the fact that we all have limited amounts of time and we have to be discerning about the ways in which we'll spend our time, the media that we will take in, and that you've chosen to spend some time with me here at Girlfriends just absolutely means the world is so encouraging to me. So thank you for showing up. Thank you for that little bit of encouragement. And until next time, I hope you'll enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 